Good morning, how are you? And good to see you in God's house. We are uh, in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6. You'd like to turn there as we look at uh, how Christ identified himself when he came. John, chapter 14, verse 6. The last service, there were no seats. Uh, so this is the service to come to, I see. So I'm glad you're here and you found a seat this morning. Uh, a couple of items of business. Uh, I told you uh, as we went through a season of hiring new staff, because we've had uh, staff move. God has moved them literally around the country. Uh, uh, more so than any time in the 11 years I've been here, God has uh, sovereignly uh, placed our, some of our staff in different uh, ministries. Uh, for a variety of reasons. I think it started with uh, Pastor Matt, who left years ago after being here for seven years as the youth pastor. Then then Darren was here for, boy, I think almost 11 years. God moved him back to Texas of all places. And he's doing well, by the way, in case you were wondering. We talk about it every week. Uh, but we've been hiring staff. And so I wanted to keep you up to date. I told you I would. Uh, and so we are uh, wanting to keep you up to date this morning. So uh, Alex Zaccarelli, I think Alec is here, is he not? I saw his wife. Is he here, Alec? He's hiding. Why don't you stand? Uh, so Alec, uh, he's, he just finished Dallas Seminary's four-year THM degree, which is a huge accomplishment. So we want to thank you. Um, he turned in his, district, uh, his uh, master's thesis, was it yesterday? About a week now. You still have that glow. Uh, so uh, he's been our intern uh, in our church doing a variety of things, uh, but he's going to be our new pastor of missions uh, come January the 1st. So welcome aboard. Uh, also, uh, we have, since Jeremiah Nichols is moving uh, from being a senior high pastor to being a senior pastor at a church in Missouri, uh, we've been, uh, you know, recently uh, uh, placed uh, looking for a, a, a replacement for, for Jeremiah. Uh, and uh, we would, we would ra rather hire internally uh, based on people that we've seen in action and uh, bought into our vision, uh, fire in the belly, that whole thing. Uh, and so some of these things, God moves quicker than what we anticipated. Uh, and we all felt, uh, Michael and along with others who interviewed uh, this individual, we, we hired the youth pastor this week. Uh, I, t I told you, uh, it was fast. Uh, we hired Jeremiah Whittick. Uh, and many people in our church know Jeremiah. His family was here prior to their moving to Charlottesville. Uh, he's been an intern here for two years. Uh, uh, he's educated at Liberty University, a good school, uh, and he, he has a proven track record of uh, doing great ministry, uh, and he, he's teachable, malleable, he is teachable, yeah, uh, he's totally excited, he drove four hours during finals week to come up here to apply for the job this week, that's commitment, and trusting God that he could pass his classes too, so, um, anyway, he's going to be starting on January the 2nd. Uh, and uh, it's an awesome hire, and I know a lot of people are excited about uh, uh, Jeremy's uh, coming. And we've hired somebody with a similar name to the last youth pastor, so Jeremiah, Jeremy. So uh, another thing that we've done uh, is uh, we've changed the structure, the organizational structure of the, of, the, of the youth ministry. Youth pastors typically stay nationally about a year and a half to two years. Talk about commitment. I mean, that's, they move in and they move out, just what happens. Uh, and so there's been uh, a lot of movement in our youth ministry as God has moved them in and out, like Grant moving to go be with his grandfather, um, David Jeremiah, out in San Diego. Uh, who's going to tell David Jeremiah you can't have your grandson back? To <laughs> Not I. Um, and, and so what we've done is we've taken uh, Kim Grindle, who has been the uh, uh, 
basically the, the administrative secretary for the two youth pastors uh, in, in the midst of all this continual transition. She is the logistical brains. I mean, she is the machine behind the scenes that makes sure everything happens. And uh, so uh, uh, Michael and I uh, talked about that over the last several weeks with uh, uh, key staff. And we've elevated her to be the admin director of the whole thing. They will then report to her, not, he, not she to them. Uh, and this will add perpetual stability to the ministry because she will be there to mentor them, uh, grow them up in the faith, teach them how to plan and all the things that have to be learned uh, from a perspective of she's the, the mentor, as it were. So we're excited about that new style of what's going to be happening in there. So it'd be exciting. So we've made basically uh, some new hires because she's in a new position uh, herself. So th- these are all exciting things that God has arranged and then uh, we've been doing a lot of uh, uh, interviews of staff for other jobs. Uh, we've had a lot of great people apply for the tech job, which is a huge job at our church, especially with the new sound system in the new building. Uh, and we've had some excellent individuals with degrees in audio engineering. Uh, and so we uh, have been interviewing them. And we're going to be bringing out a candidate. Uh, it will probably be in January when we bring them uh, to uh, uh, look at the job. So a person totally qualified to do the job. And we're also bringing a, another candidate out for life groups position, uh, a Dallas seminary educated uh, person. That's not, that's just the way it has gone. Uh, it, our best candidate is coming out January the 13th um, uh, to be interviewed for that at a deeper level. And so be in prayer about that. And that person would then become our new life groups pastor. So God has been, moving uh, people and moving them here. And it's been fun to watch him providentially uh, work. Also, uh, our women's director, uh, Michelle Bowden, uh, is uh, going to be moving. I think uh, this day is her last formal day. Uh, and Kim, uh, uh, Kim um, Payne, we have many Kims here. Kim Payne, is gonna, her admin secretary, is going to be taking her position until May when her husband is moved by the military, uh, I think, to Missouri. Uh, what's in Missouri? A huge military base, I think. So uh, he's going there, to, I think, to command the base. And so, uh, so we're uh, thank thank God that we have great people to, to fill up positions. So there's a lot going on in our body. Currently, we have uh, given uh, backfilling uh, positions that we already had, plus new positions that we proposed for the new year. We're in the throes of hiring 16 people total. That is a part-time job. So Michael and I have been quite busy. Have you not? Yeah, and I think I'm turning whiter through the whole process. It's a lot of time. So thanks for your prayers uh, as we've gone through that. So uh, God is blessing the church uh, with a new, a new team, which is awesome. Uh, after we had the other one in place for many, many years. So let's pray. God, uh, we thank you just for the time to look at the scriptures to see what you said about yourself. Uh, and may we measure ourselves and our thinking against what you said, not what we think you said or would want you to say. Might our lives be in alignment with you uh, 100%. And we pray those who don't know you uh, would get a fresh insight into who you are uh, so that they can come to know you and follow you as the Savior of all saviors. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, there's an old hymn, uh, it's a carol, uh, that uh, nobody in the last two services basically knew it. So how many, how many know how great our joy? Wow, this is a truly spiritual group right here. Uh, oh, and by the way, my sis, little sister's here, Julie, uh, from California, and my brother-in-law, Mickey. Uh, it's good to have them, and uh, his family is from, is it Rhode Island, or Cape Cod, uh, or Massachusetts, yeah, somewhere up there, uh, and so they flew out a couple weeks ago to see his parents, now they're down here seeing uh, us, so it's good to see them and worship this morning. 
What was I talking about? How great our joy. Yeah. Uh, the words go like this. Um, it's about the shepherds and their response to the announcement of the birth of Christ. While by the sheep we watched at night, glad tidings uh, brought the angel of, of light. How great our joy, how great our joy. And then it says six times in a row, joy. I could write a carol like this. Joy, 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 joy. And then it says two times, praise we the Lord in heaven on high. Praise we the Lord, the heaven on high. What were they so excited about? I mean, these shepherds, why were they excited and joyous uh, about the birth of this little Jewish baby 2,000 years ago? Well, why are Christians excited about the birth of Christ? Because that's what Christmas is really about. I mean, when you're at the store and they tell you happy holidays, it's like, have, you not for, have you forgotten like what it is? It's Christmas. And so I, I don't ever do the happy holiday thing. I always tell them Merry Christmas. Uh, I don't have people saying anything other than Merry Christmas back to me. I find it most interesting because it is about the birth of the Christ of Christmas. Uh, so why, why should you be excited? Why does the little hymn, the little carol tell you to be joyous? Well, because of who was born. So who was born? Jesus, God in the flesh. Uh, prophesied to be born by Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, 800 years before he was born. Uh, Isaiah said, God with us is coming. Um, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, said uh, the eternal one is coming. He's going to be born. It's uh, hard to wrap your finite mind around the fact that the infant in God was born uh, to be the Savior, but he was. Uh, when the Savior came, uh, he fulfilled prophecies uh, that are mathematically impossible for a man to control, again, to verify who he is. Uh, he also uh, spoke like God because it says in the scriptures, no one taught as he taught. Imagine in a Bible study with Jesus. Uh, could I ask a question? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, he was amazing as a teacher, uh, but he also validated his uh, deity by the miracles that he did because it's one thing for someone to say they're God, another to validate it. So if I were to tell you uh, that I feel like I'm divine, what would you say? Show me. Show, show me, yeah, yeah. Weren't you a fighter pilot? Vietnam? Yeah, show me, show me. Military trained. I got to see the evidence. Uh, but this is, this is true. You would have to see the evidence, but you would probably think I was nuts, right? I mean, somebody said this, like I'm feeling divine. It's like, uh-huh. It's my first Sunday there. The guy was claiming divine status. Uh, uh, no, I'm not. Uh, because if you claim divine status, you should be able to do divine stuff, right? And so Jesus uh, not only claimed it, he did it. And we talked about that last week as well. The other thing that Jesus did uh, behind claiming uh, uh, divine status by his works that he did uh, is he claimed divine names. I mean, imagine the audacity to pick a name of God and saying, that's me. That's exactly what he did. So he's going to take the I am statement of, of God to Moses at the burning bush. And he's going to say, when Moses says, what name shall I call you by? Tell him, I am sent you. And so Jesus is going to come along. He's going to take the same name and we'll get to it in uh, our sermon next week on John 8, 58, where Christ says, I am the great I am. He's going to take that I am statement and he's going to take that subject and wed it to multiple predicates and tell you exactly who he is. I don't know if you've ever seen a diamond, uh, and a jeweler that's free on a piece of black cloth, and you, you, they'll showcase all the beauty of the diamond, the cut, the clarity, everything. You can see all the different facets of the light. This is Jesus. He's going to tell you, consider the beauty of my character. He's going to tell you who he is in clear terms. He's going to, and we've talked about them as he's filled in who he is in the I am statements over the last two years. He's claimed that he is the bread of life. He is the light of the world, the only spiritual light of the world. He is the door that leads to heaven, the only door. Remember the word the is definitive. He says, I am the vine of all spiritual vines. 
And if you're connected to me, you have life. He says, I am the way, the only way to God. And if you're not going on his way, you're not going to heaven. John chapter 14, verse 6, uh, he says, I am the essence of all spiritual truth. If you do not know me uh, as the essence of spiritual truth, you have not truth. He's very definitive. Uh, and then we're going to see today, he adds a, a sixth concept to this in John 14, verse 6. Uh, we're only studying uh, a phrase today uh, when Jesus says, uh, not only am I the way to God, the Father in heaven, not only, not only am I the epitome and essence of all spiritual truth, he says, I am the life. And then he tacks on that last phrase, uh, no, no one, doesn't matter who you are, what education you have, who your parents were, who your grandmother was, how religious she was, no one comes to the Father but through me. How important are prepositions? One person. How, how important are prepositions? They're very important. Very important. That word through there, when used with a genitive as it is in the original Greek text here, uh, gives you the means by which these, these things are true. Which means you, you can't be on the way that leads to heaven unless you come through or by means of Jesus. You, you can't know spiritual truth, the essence of all spiritual truth, unless you know Christ who is the essence of truth. And then you can't have spiritual eternal life unless you know Christ, who is the essence of all of that, and come through him, by means of him. That's what the preposition means, by means of him. And we love prepositions at our church because they're so important. So what did Jesus say about himself? He said, I'm the essence of life. But what does he mean by that? So here's the main motif from that particular phraseology where Christ identifies himself as the life. What's it mean? It means that Jesus is the only, heavy on thee, he's the only, uh, he's the only one capable of granting eternal life to those who believe, to a dead sinner. Now, a person born with Adam's sin, the only way he can find true life before God in all of eternity is to come through Jesus by means of faith. Uh, eternal life is what he's talking about as we're going to see. Now, we as uh, humans struggle with our mortality. And when you're in your you know, teens and 20s, you do things because you don't think you could die, right? And now that you look back and you're thinking, what? was I thinking? And I remember one time diving off of a cliff into a pool of water uh, and no one went down to test the little tiny pool of water. The big thing was who can hit the pool of water? And it wasn't big, but no one went down to see how deep it was. I mean, did you do things like this? And you're dropping like three stories down into a pool of water. Now I would look at that and go, no way you go first. I'll do the funeral. Won't charge the family. Um, but you know, when you think about it, it's like we're mortal and, 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 and as, you, as you begin to age, you know, well, things begin to change, correct? You know, the skin's not what it used to be, you know, the chest isn't where it used to be. For men, the weightlifting body, you know, the 50-inch chest is now moved down to the midline and those types of things. But what do people do to try to uh, defy aging? You know, because Jesus is saying, I'm the essence of all life. Well, we, we try to defy uh, what's happening to us by, especially at our church, working out watching what we eat, eating superfoods, uh, eating anti-aging foods, using special creams. Uh, I've actually, as I've been around Walmart, you know, with nothing to do, do while Liz is shopping with the basket, throwing stuff in. Um, she's not here right now. She's on the counting team, so we can talk about her behind her back. But, uh, and I've stopped and gone down, you know, the aisle of all the creams and things. And it's like, there's a little, I forget who makes it. There's a, like a, it's a rejuvenation cream. And it, I was reading it the other day when I was standing there, you know, it's like, what else is a man to do? And I was reading the cream and it's like, you spread this on your face and it's going to rejuvenate your skin. And you're going to look so much younger. And I'm thinking to myself as a person who's just logical, what happens when I stop using your $30 thing? <laughs> What's happening, Harry? I'm going back to the way that I was before. Why? Because 
laws of thermodynamics. They're going to kick in, right. Uh, and just that type of thing. And so we do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, my wife's in dentistry, so uh, you can actually increase your life by flossing. Did you know this? Yeah, absolutely you can. Because if you don't floss, you're not dealing with the bacteria that, that if you, that's there. That bacteria can get into your bloodstream, go to your heart, and you can die. Could you imagine your tombstone? He died because he did not floss. <laughs> so, I'm <laughs> just, just saying. We, you know, we do all kinds of crazy things. Uh, my last church, uh, we had a company came and said, we're going to bring in all this equipment and we have all these body scanners and we will scan your body to tell you what's going on inside your body. We'll do it free for all the staff. We'll charge everybody else. Do you want to do it? Why not? So we did it. So, you know, so they brought in all their m curtains and everything and machines and you had to lay down on a table and they screened your body and then they spit out a report as to... On your current tra trajectory, this is what's going to happen to you in a few years. It's most unsettling. It's like, I, I had no idea. Um, and so these types of things, because we want to hang on to life at all, as, as long as possible, correct? Some are, go to great lengths, and they get into, um, well, what is called uh, pyronics, which is freeze your body prior to death. Oh, this is interesting. They're going to stick you right before the moment of death into 130 minus degrees below zero to freeze you for later. Who wants to come back in 200 years? But they say, hey, technology will increase. We'll revive your body at that point and everything will be great. The only problem is uh, the scripture is very definitive that it's appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. It does not leave any room for, oh yeah, you can come back if you're frozen. No, no. But we like to hang on to life. Jesus says, let me talk about life to you who are mortal. He says, I am the essence of all life. What kind of life are you talking about, Lord? He says, I am the life. Now, if you look at the word life that he uses here, he uses the word zao, all right? Life. Uh, which comes, if you named your child Zoe, Zoe means life. Uh, you have four lexical meanings for what Jesus could possibly be talking about when he says, I am the life. Four definitions. Number one, it can denote natural physical life. Uh, number two, it can denote supernatural eternal life. Three, it can denote the conduct of a life, like morally speaking. Or four, it can be used as a participle to denote physical living. So what, which one of those meanings is Jesus using when he says, I am the life? Well, he's probably not using with Thomas, number one, or number four, because number one and number four are talking about physical life, and Thomas was already quite alive. Do you follow me? So which ones was he using? Well, he's telling him, oh, I'm numbers two and three. When Jesus says, I am the life, he's saying, I'm the essence of eternal life, primarily, secondarily. When you come to know me as Savior, I give you life, which is interesting. When you hang around all your non-Christian friends and you are not a Christian who's thinking about becoming a Christian, I can tell you how they're going to cancel you about becoming a Christian. They're going to tell you stuff like, hey, don't do it. I mean, if you become a Christian, you don't get to do anything that's fun. It's over. No, when you become a Christian, you get to enjoy life to the fullest with a clear conscience because now God's with you. But it's a whole nother thing. Jesus says, I am the essence of life. Now, what does he mean of those two words? Well, I think primarily he's focusing on eternal life. Uh, let's, how, what's the best way to know what a word means other than ask the person themselves? So when I was in college dating Liz, she, Liz was in San Diego, I was in LA, uh, back then, we didn't have FaceTime. Remember? We didn't have computers. We didn't have cell phones. Remember, if you had to call your girlfriend long distance, it's a lot of money. 
So we didn't make a whole lot of phone calls because I couldn't afford it because I'm broke because I was a senior in college. Um, so if you don't have that as an option, what did we do back then? Wrote letters. You wrote letters. How many wrote letters to their girlfriends or boyfriends? Okay, so I'm not alone. And you're not, you're all over 40, obviously. So let, let's think about this. So I wrote Liz all these letters. She would write me letters back. When she would send me a letter, since I was a, a, a Greek grammarian back in the day, because this was my focus of study, uh, I'm, I, was, I was analyzing her prepositions. Wonder why? Wonder why she chose that preposition. Why did she choose that participle? What does that participle denote? What's the main verb? That it links? I mean, you know what I mean? I'm analyzing her words. Because they're like, what is my girlfriend saying to me? And then if I had a question, what did I do? Well, I had to write another letter and wait another two weeks to get a reply. It was painful. So what it would, back then, easier just to get married, right? So. <laughs> now, what is funny is when we moved here, we still have all these letters. I wrote to her. She wrote to me. A whole box of them. So when we were in our garage going through the, the stuff to move, uh, our daughter Amanda was helping us, and she came across that box. And she, what's this? And she began to pull them out and read them. Her next question, went, her next question was, who is this? <laughs> She's like, listen to the wording here. Dad. I'm like, uh, uh, I, I don't even know that guy anymore. I don't even talk like that anymore. Did, have you read your past letters? Yeah. So if you want to know what Jesus says when he means I'm the life, who should you ask about what does that mean? But Jesus. Well, there's only two other places in the, in the book of John where he uses that exact statement, the life, with an article. Uh, John chapter 1, verse 3, where it says this. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. And in him, Jesus was life. Uh, and apart from the life, uh, uh, it was the life, and the life of Jesus was the light of men. What does he mean here? Well, prior to anything being, I mean, when there was nothing, no cosmos, no universe, nothing, no, this dimension wasn't even here, he was. Why? Well, he's the eternal God outside of time and space. He was, and he spoke all things into being. It says, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. How could he create everything? Because he always is. He always is. He made all things. He made all, because he's the essence of life. So where did life come from? Well, Jesus, who is the essence of life? He made life because he's the eternal one existing outside of our comp comprehension. This is why I find being a Christian most exciting. It, and the answer is because we have the true answers to life. Like, because science doesn't have them. And I love science. I love taking chemistry. I love physics in college. I loved all the zoology. I loved all those classes. Because I would look at them and see the fingerprints of God in the complexity of what was made. What can't science answer? Well, it can't answer questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, why is there order as opposed to disorder? And how did extreme specified complexity come from an explosion? I don't understand that. Uh, what started the chain of cause and effect if there's no such thing as self-causation? Well, you have to have a being outside of self-causation who's not self-caused, who just is. Notice what it says. All things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being because he's in a constant state of being. He always exists. Why were the shepherds all excited? Because the one who always was and is and is to come had just been born. But what does it mean when it means that he who is the eternal one is the... The, the light of men. Does that mean that because he created us all, that then all people who are born are believers? No. 
what he's telling you is everybody that he made, he, the eternal one, he has made, fashioned all of us in his likeness. We have built into the warp and woof of our being a comprehension that he is. So to argue against the fact that he is, is as Paul says in Romans 1.18, to suppress the truth of the fact that he is, that he exists. Here's how Paul puts it in Romans 2. You remember Romans 2? Chapter 2, several years ago, verse 14. Paul puts it this way. For when Gentiles who do not have the law do instinctively the things uh, of the law, these Gentiles, not having the law, you know, the Ten Commandments, and those 613 and 14 additional commandments, uh, they are a law to themselves, in that they show the work of the law written where? On their heart. Then their conscience bears witness, and their thoughts alternatively, accusing or else defending them. When on the day when, according to my gospel, Paul says, God will judge the secrets of men through Christ. God's justice of, when he judges will be most perfect. Why? Because they knew better. And they responded against the truth by suppressing the truth of God's existence that he put into the warp and woof of their being. That's the light that they have. They understand there is a God and it's shown by the fact that natural law teaches them there are certain things that you do and don't do. Where'd that come from? Well, God put it there. So we, we come to the planet knowing I probably shouldn't steal. I probably shouldn't lie. I probably shouldn't commit murder. Why? Well, it's just built in our packaging. Where'd that come from? God, who is the eternal one, put it in us. And Jesus is that one who put it in us. So when we look at the usage uh, and the first usage of the, the life in John, it's talking about eternal life related to God, the creator. Uh, in John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus shows up at the tomb of his best friend, Lazarus, and his sisters, Mary and Martha of Lazarus, are there upset that Jesus didn't show up sooner to keep him from dying. Uh, and he says in John chapter 11, verse 25, when he talks to Martha, he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Just same terminology that he used in John 14. And he says, he who believes in me shall live even if he dies. This is eternal life. Jesus says, I, I'm here to give eternal life to those who believe in me. Uh, when you look at the meaning of the word beyond the eternality built into the word in John, those two usages, another emphasis is on spiritual conduct. So and here's how we know that meaning because it's based on the context of John 14. John 14 verse 15, notice what Jesus says a few verses later after verse 6 of John 14. It says in John uh, verse 15, it says, if you, speaking as a disciple, if you love me, what will you do by nature? To keep my commandments. And he says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever that is the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But, I, but I, I know you know him because he abides with you and he will be, future tense, like on the day of Pentecost, he'll be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans, speaking about his death. I will come to you. Why? Because he's the God of life. Death won't even take him. And he says, after a little while, the world will behold me no more because they're going to crucify him. But you will behold me because I live, you also shall live. Uh, he's going to equip them to live a godly life. How? Well, he's not only going to give them eternal life, he's going to equip them to live a godly life through the presence of the Holy Spirit that he will give them. When do you get the Holy Spirit? At the moment of faith, he gives you his Holy Spirit. Not 10% of him, not 20%. He gives you all the Holy Spirit uh, to dwell with you. He's called uh, the helper. He's also called the comforter. And Jesus says, uh, let me give you his name. This one who will give you spiritual life. 
We'll call him another helper. There's two ways to say another in Greek. You can say heteros or alos. Heteros is uh, another of a different kind. Alos, like heterosexual. Alos is another of the same kind. Jesus used alos here to say, I'm sending another helper other than me. The other is the other of the same kind, meaning divine one, third member of the Trinity. Where was he sending him? To all believers to empower them for godly living. See, this is why when you come to know Christ as your savior, you're, you're equipped to live in a way you could never live before because the spirit now dwells in you to live life to the fullest. But the primary emphasis in the passage is on eternal life because that's what he's talking about in the passage. Uh, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and take you there when I come for you. He's speaking of, to believers about eternal existence in his presence. John chapter three, we talked about this last week. Uh, we'll go back to it. It says uh, to, to the Pharisee, uh, Nicodemus, Jesus says to him, uh, as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, if you look to the serpent after you were bit by a real serpent, if you look to the bronze serpent, you were healed of the venom. He says, likewise, even so must the son of man be lifted up on a cross. Why? Well, that whoever believes in him may have what? Eternal life. Eternal life. And then God so loved, well, you can stick your name in there. So loved you that what did he do? That he gave his only begotten son for you. That when you believe in that son as being the way, the truth, then you have the life instantly. When does eternal life start for the, the person who repents and comes to Christ? When does it start? When you see God face to face? No. He gives it to you at that precise moment. That the body begins to die and decay, but he gives you life, eternal life. It's what Jesus is saying when he's the life. At the woman at, when he talked to the woman at the well in John 4, what did he tell her? Uh, he said, whoever drinks of the water from this well, I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He said, I can give you life far different than any well water. The life I give you at the moment of faith will, will bubble up into, well, eternity because he's the God of all life. Uh, John chapter 5, verse 21, he says, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he pleases. What kind of life? Eternal life to those who come to him. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, notice the progression. He, that's you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, what does he give you at the moment of faith? Eternal life. He forgives you of your sin and gives you life. Uh, he does not come into judgment, he's, but he's passed out of death into life. Why? Because he just believed in Christ as the way, the truth. He gives you life. John chapter 6, verse 40. He says, this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have what? Eternal life. And I will raise myself, him up on the last day. See, all throughout the book of John talks about life related to eternal life. So when he says in John chapter 14, uh, verse 6, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. When you're on the way, who, in, by faith Christ is the way, and you, you're placed on that way because you believe him as the Savior, and you believe he's the essence of all spiritual truth, you by definition have eternal life. So when you stand at a, at a gravesite of a, of, a, of a loved one uh, who knew Christ, uh, it is sad to stand there. I've been there. But if they knew Christ, there's great hope there. Why? Where are they? They're with Christ. Nothing greater. Uh, but Jesus was very clear on how you get to his presence. But the devil, the, the old devil likes to mess things up because uh, he, he doesn't want people to join Christ and follow hard after him. He wants you to stay in 
his kingdom. So we mentioned this last week and we'll circle back and mention again. In Matthew 13, verse 24, after Christ told the parable of the soils that he's going to throw his gospel out into the world, he then told the parable of the weeds. How do you feel about weeds? You like them? You dislike them? I had a guy just stop me between the last two services with a desperate question. It was about weed management for his yard. It's totally hilarious. Uh, and, uh, and as a former landscaper, I'm concerned about weeds. And Jesus talked about weeds in the parable of the weeds. What's that parable about? It's about that Jesus says the gospel seed of truth will be in the world, that those who come to Christ in faith, he will grant them life and forgiveness. But the devil's like, I don't want you to believe that. So what's he do? He sows in weed seeds to deceive you. This is a picture uh, that I took close up of a thistle in the Valley of Elah. The Valley of Elah is a little tiny valley. It's not, I mean, it's maybe a mile wide uh, where uh, David took on Goliath. So just to the left of these weeds is a little dry riverbed uh, where the stones are still there today when David would have picked up a stone to take out Goliath. And it's very interesting because while I was there one day to teach, I see this thistle. Thistle is worst case scenario for a weed. If you have it in your yard, it's over for you. It's, it's bad. Never grab it with your hand. Have you ever grabbed thistle? You always have to have on leather gloves. It will tear you up. So, sorry. <laughs> when you see this particular weed in this field, do you notice anything else that's growing with it? See that what looks like grass with the long heads on it? You know what that is? That's wheat. So I'm sitting here in the Valley of Elah where David took on Goliath and I'm about to teach about how he had great faith in God to overcome Goliath. And there growing was wheat along with wheat. What did Jesus talk about when it came to that? Well, he said, well, you have wheat in the world, my people uh, who follow me, and you have weeds and you're either one or the other. And he also said that, uh, let me explain to you that the weed seed is like false teaching. But, it, but he said, Just leave it in the world until I show up and I'll separate the two. But the devil sows the false weeds out there to get, get people not to follow the Christ. So what does he do to deceive them? Well, a variety of things. It's a whole sermon series. I'll just give you two ideas. Uh, one, one of the ways that he throws weed out there is he takes a person uh, who loves science and he gets them to be so in love with science, they come to the conclusion there's no God. God is science. It's called scientism. There's a lot of people who believe that. There's no reason to believe in God because science answers all questions. Uh, Peter Atkins is a renowned Oxford chemistry professor uh, and he doesn't like religion at all or God. And he wrote this. Humanity should accept that science has eliminated the justification for believing uh, in cosmic purpose and that any survival of purpose is inspired only by sentiment. Translated, you're a Christian. Oh, come on, get over it. There's no proof for what you believe in. It's just a sentimental thinking. Uh, no, it's not. I'm not a believer because I'm sentimental. I'm a believer because I looked at the facts. And I can see I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I've looked at the design and purpose in the cosmos. And I see the fingerprints of a divine being behind all of that. But hey, I'm not a scientist of his caliber. But there's other scientists of his caliber who say things like this. John Houghton is a British astrophysicist who says this. He says, quote, says, our science as astrophysicists is God's science. 
He, God, holds the responsibility for the whole scientific story, the remarkable order, consistency, reliability, and fascinating complexity uh, found in the scientific uh, description of the universe are reflections of the order, consistency, reliability, and complexity of God's activity. Isn't this interesting? One man says, I don't see God's fingerprints at all. And the other one says, I look up at the heavens and I see all the specified complexity and I see the hand of God. What's interesting is you couldn't even have science if you didn't have the predictability built into the cosmos. Hypotheses wouldn't even work because nothing would be predictable. Where did predictability come from? God. So science is that which can deceive a person into thinking there's no reason for God when there's many people of renowned education who believe in God because they've looked at the evidence and can see the hand of God and they have no issue with who Jesus is. But still they get you to smile and laugh at claims in the Bible like, well, Jesus claimed to walk on water. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Nobody could walk on water. God could. Uh, Rabbi Zacharias has this to say about those who would laugh at uh, Jesus walking on water uh, with this statement. He says, think of this for a moment. In 18 milliliters of water, about two swallows full, he says there's 10 to, uh, 6 to the 10th to the 23rd power of molecules of H2O. How much is 6 times 10 to the 23rd power? He says a good computer can carry out 10 million counts per second. It would take that computer 2 billion years to count 6 times 10 to the 23rd. What does that mean to us? The greatest theological statement for the existence of God is when you go home and you fill up a glass of water and take a drink. Because if it takes 2 billion years to count the molecular structure in that water, who made that complexity? That's beyond computation. And here's the way I look at it. If God created that complexity of that water molecule, couldn't he walk on it? I mean, couldn't he rearrange it if he wanted to? And by the way, when you, when you, cause I love science and space. When you look at the Mars rovers and everything, what are they looking for? Water. This looks like a dry riverbed from mass rivers that used to flow through here. Blah, blah, blah. They're looking for water. How in an, in an explosion did the water end up on one planet? I mean, how'd that happen? It was accidental. No, I think not. That water you drink at lunch is telling you the glory of God. But science deceives people and the thinking that uh, Christians don't have answers. But I look at the evidence like that and like water tells you there's a designer. But if that doesn't work, the devil has a, a bag of tricks and he reaches into that to deceive people. Uh, another thing that he'll do is to get people to believe in false systems of belief. I want ones that are close to Christianity, but they're off. Or ones that are way far from Christianity that are off, but they believe in those instead of truth. Case in point, uh, my mother-in-law, uh, before she passed away, for probably 50-something odd years, uh, was into transcendental meditation. The Maharisha Mahashogi. Uh, she probably meditated more than I pray, religiously. Uh, she eventually came to know Christ as her Savior, but she had this in her background for years. What was she trying to achieve in TM? She was trying to get to the seventh level of meditation, uh, which they call uh, unity consciousness. And she explained, you know, all the different levels you have to go through to eventually get to the unity consciousness. And to me, it's like, Marinette, that is so complex. That is so tricky. How would you ever even know you got through all those different levels? And by the way, you don't even talk about sin in your system. It's all about you merging with the Brahmin and everything in this impersonal force and becoming one with that. And that is so impersonal. When we're highly personal beings, why would there not be a personal being that we get to know and talk with who made us? 
So we had many conversations about truth, but she for years was bought into TM thinking, well, the Maharishi must be right. See, it's a false path to life because Jesus is very clear. We're sinners. We need a savior. I came to die for your sins. I paid the way to glory. And because I'm the eternal one, I can share eternality with you when you come to me in faith. I mean, she eventually came to embrace that. I asked her not long before she died, uh, make sure she was saved. Don't you? When you're talking to family members and she articulated to me how she knew she was saved. And she said, I, get, I find great solace in, in Psalm 23. She said, I say, I say it to myself many times at night. You know the Psalm Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. She would quote that. Why? Cause she knew the shepherd was with her cause he wasn't a force. It was God almighty with her. See, because she had faith. Uh, but the devil deceives people and uh, I would be amiss as a pastor if I didn't ask you, are you deceived? Because what's Christmas about? Well, the Savior came, God himself, to die for your sins and rise again. And the moment you believe in him, he grants you forgiveness and life eternal. And there's no greater gift to receive. And if you'd like to receive it, I'd like to introduce him to you. I'd love to pray with you or counselors can pray with you. And if you're a Christian, you should be sharing that with everybody that you know, especially at Christmas when they come see you and have turkey dinner. You should be asking them, but what is this about anyway? What's about the birth of the I am? Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. There is much reason to rejoice and be excited this Christmas season for the birth of your son, the savior of the world, who is the way, the truth, and the life for all those who come to know him. We thank you for who you are and the life you grant to us. May our lives reflect uh, his holiness through how we live. And may those who don't know you in our body come to know you soon. Uh, may you be the good shepherd that draws them to yourself. In Christ's name, amen. Have a wonderful afternoon.